Welcome to the Leading and Learning Through Safety podcast, where we discuss OSHA, EPA, safety policy, safety training, employee engagement, and everything in between. Safety is so much more than a technical skill. It's a motivational need. It's a means of engaging your team. Safety is a meaningful business practice that makes a direct impact on everyone in the organization. Hi, I'm your host for the podcast, Dr. Mark French, also known as The Safety Dude. As a certified safety professional and nationally registered EMT, I am excited to share my knowledge and passion from experience in environmental health, safety, security, and human resources. I've worked in the automotive, foods, chemical, nuclear, and e-commerce fields. I'm so glad you're joining me for this episode as we talk through the current issues in environmental health and safety and how they can affect the culture of your organization. Hi, and welcome to this week's episode of the podcast. Again, so happy you could join me. Very happy that uh, you're part of listening, and I appreciate that. So getting started this week, again, we're going to start off with COVID-19 because uh, it just continues to evolve and a lot faster than I really expected it to. And so a lot of the news, a lot of what we're seeing in things that are coming up with OSHA, things that are coming up in the safety world continue to revolve around the COVID-19 and how we're handling that in the workplace. And now it's starting to see kind of the fallout from it where there's fines and citations and items coming out. So a few of those, uh, surprisingly, a lot of news about that across the country uh, in California, Frozen Foods and their staffing firm, over half a million dollars for COVID-19 related PPE, bloodborne pathogen hazards. So a huge fine there um, from the standpoint of those two organizations combined, both the, the manufacturer itself and their staffing firm. But we're seeing this happening in a lot of places. So here's a, we jump over to the East Coast, another, and now really the focus though is medical places, nursing homes and then food manufacturers a lot of those places that stayed open or needed to stay open we're seeing a lot of that and so here's another medical case uh, this penalty was only 28,000 and again for PPE so and there was a huge shortage and i wonder how that's going to play long term really curious about how that how can OSHA say that, okay, we didn't provide PPE when it may not have been available. Now, years ago, and this was back with the first SARS epidemic, if I remember, goodness, it's been a long time, but I'm guessing this would have been back in 2010 and before there was guidance published about what should medical facilities have in stockpile? How much material should you have in your stock to be prepared for the next epidemic. And I just wonder if that's going to come out as part of like, hey, you weren't prepared and you had lots of it because the discussion came up that when that first got published and I'm having trouble finding it and remembering it exactly how it came out, but I was working in a different industry other than medical, but we saw this publication and we started, I had to deep dive it. I had to do some research to see if it was for 
is this for every industry or is it primarily a guidance document for the medical field? And come to find out, it was just a guidance document for the medical field. So I was relieved uh, from that standpoint. But I remember it being published about you should have so much N95 stockpiled. You should have so many gloves stockpiled. You should have so much sanitizer or soap at that time stockpiled to protect you for this duration of time in the case that we were to have a pandemic. And so I wonder if that's going to be one of those citations because I know a lot of organizations I'm sure are going to argue that we couldn't get it and you can't just close a hospital. We had sick people here and nor would we want to see a hospital closed. So where is that balance? Where is that balance that, okay, we need to keep it open for public health reasons, but there's people working there that have the right, the absolute right, the moral obligation to be protected when they're working. So where, where's that balance? And should we revisit those stockpiling ideas? How much should we be keeping? How much should, if you employ 500 people at your hospital, how much material do you need? Do you need one N95 per person per day held back for a month? So 31 days of respirators times 500 a day. Where is that? Where is that at? Or is it two a day? How, depending on what it looks like. How much should they be holding? I think we need guidance on that. I think we need to revisit that. And again, I remember back, again, it's been a decade ago, seeing guidance on that. And I'm sure it's old now and revised and and it should be looked at. I think this is going to be something that's going to have to come out of what we found here because we need this guidance. If OSHA is going to enforce this, there has to be something that's a background information that's enforceable. So, I'm being told to wear a certain piece of personal protective equipment. Across the nation, there was no personal protective equipment of that kind to be had. Is it my obligation to keep it and hold it back? Is it my obligation uh, to rely only on my supplier? Hmm. That's interesting, isn't it? We'll have to see how that goes. I'm looking forward to seeing how this settles. I'm sure a lot of it will be settled outside of court, uh, but I'm sure there will be some that will take it the full direction. And we'll see some interesting case law definitely come out of that. But it's going to be years from now, I'm sure. And so another one, here's one as we toward kind of the Midwest, another food manufacturer, another $15,000 fine. Um, so it looks like Fed OSHA is starting to show some of these fines coming out. And that they, again, not providing enough cleaning not providing enough PPE, not providing the protections that were available. Now, what is interesting is that we're starting to see some of these food manufacturers and their attorneys pushing back. And one of the ones I saw was that they're disputing a lot of OSHA citations based on the idea of revisionism. And I do call a little bit of, no, that's not quite true. Because what they're saying is that because OSHA kept changing their guidelines, because the CDC and the the WHO started changing all their guidelines, they just didn't know what to do. And so they didn't do anything. (laughs) That argument to me is nothing. You have a moral obligation. You have a legal. If moral doesn't, doesn't stick there, you have a legal obligation to provide a safe place to work for your people. Plain and simple. 
That's the law. It's also just an obligation of morality. That's the social contract we have or should have in such a country as we live in. And so they're saying that because we never knew, is it a face mask? Is it not a face mask? Is it good hand washing? Is it not good hand washing? They, because they didn't know what to do, they, they didn't do anything. And so that's their argument of why they are getting these fines and why they shouldn't have been fined. And the truth is, OSHA was not doing revisionism. They were following the guidance that the medical community gave them at the time. We've all been there. As a safety professional that has been living through this, and, and I'm not even on the front, front lines of it. I'm part of it, but I'm not on the very the, the, the tip of the spear when it's coming to this. It has been evolving fast. It feels like this began years ago with COVID-19, and it hasn't. It's only been six months ago, seven months ago, that we really started being like really ramping up and super concerned over it. And moving fast and just think about all the information and all the changes we've had due to science telling us that something is different. And so this argument will be interesting. I don't think it's going to play far. I think it's a good spin, but kind of see through that pretty fast. And then here's one, uh, another one, uh, another hospital saying that, hey, here's another citation. Again, this is toward the East Coast um, being fined. Uh, showed that a lot of people did not have enough PPE. They just It just wasn't available or not being distributed or not being out there. And the fines ranged anywhere from $9,000 to $30,000 uh, from, from this standpoint. So again, we're seeing these fines start to show up, and it's going to be interesting to see who, who's going to take it the full direction to fight some of these processes to see, okay, how are we going to handle these long term? And then, of course, there's the whistleblower claims. And I saw an article written for employers that, hey, watch out, whistleblower complaints are on the rise. You need to be ready. And a lot of it was like basic training, like how to train your supervisors to listen, how to how to be prepared for as people return to work, how do you make them aware of what you're doing and that you should be doing something for COVID-19? You just can't. In this day and age, we cannot just come back to work and go back to exactly the way business as usual was. We're in a different world now, and we will be for quite some time. And so we just can't treat it as business as usual. We've got to, as people are still returning to work, as businesses are opening maybe full-time or part-time, we have to treat it as something is different. And we have to talk about how it's different and why it's different and what we're going to do because it's different. That's our obligation as safety people is to educate. Having a good safety program is great, but if you don't tell people about it, they don't know it's there. So sometimes you have to talk about it. You, you Well, sometimes, all the time. You should always be talking about what do we have? What are we doing? How are we doing it? And you can never over-communicate it, especially if you're doing a good job. You really got to be pushing that because there's not very often that we get that chance to really brag about the work we're doing. So it's an opportunity when we're doing good things to really talk about it, really train it, really try to express it. And then that's part of what we're doing as we're returning our workforce and welcoming them back to our places of work. So more podcasts coming up in just a moment. 
CSD Amalgamated, your partner in safety consulting. Find them on the web at tsdamalgamated.com. With over 15 years of experience in various industries, setting up ISO, TS, and RC systems, the professional team at TSD Amalgamated is ready to help you take your safety program to that next level. TSD Amalgamated is skilled in technical and behavioral auditing, from training employees on OSHA compliance standards to helping your leadership team see how safety can help drive real organizational change. TSD Amalgamated is there to be your partner. Their process is not a fill-in-the-blank policy or training process. They want to know your team, your needs, and create processes that create total organizational ownership. TSD Amalgamated, where do you want your safety programs to take you? www.tsdamalgamated.com Welcome back to the second half of the podcast. Again, so happy you joined me this week. So as we go into the second half of the podcast, um, surprisingly, a lot of the news was pretty much COVID related. So this gives me a great opportunity to talk about some of my passions. And my passion is really the behavioral side, the psychology of safety. And I really became passionate about that a number of years ago when I realized that it's about influence. It's about getting everyone involved. And how do you manage that? And it's so hard. And there's no silver bullet approach. There's nothing easy about motivating every single person. Because when you look at your data, it's never 100%. There's always an outlier. You can shrink that outlier, but there's always that outlier. And how do we get it down to that individual? How do we figure that out? And so it really drew, drove my passion. And that's what my PhD was done in psychology. So it's actually industrial and organizational psychology. It's not in safety, but I did the research based on safety. And as a safety professional, as a, someone who really loved training, I, I enjoy doing safety training. I think it's very interesting to stand and talk to people about safety. Now, early on in my career, it was not so much fun because I was really, I didn't know the material well enough and I was learning the material myself. So I was so nervous about what I was talking about because it was important. And you think about giving this information to people and knowing that this information could be the difference between getting hurt and not getting hurt. In some cases, there should be more out there than just training, but you kind of get what I'm saying there in a broad view. What we're telling and teaching is hopefully helping prevent someone from having a life-changing injury. And how do safety professionals deal with that responsibility? Because that's a big responsibility put on our shoulders. And sometimes we're not given as much time as we need to do it. It's like, yeah, get that done. How fast can you do it? And so as we came through for more and more of where I started going down that path of how do I do research, it came into, well, let's look at how we do training as a safety organization. So started talking about and interviewing people about safety training and how do we manage that and how do we create it? And what I really started looking at was the idea of meaning. How do we create a meaningful training experience as safety trainers? What are we doing out there every day to create that? 
And it was very interesting talking to a lot of my peers out there, a lot of very good people who are working very, very hard to create a great experience for their people, for their team members, and how they do safety. And one of the most important things that really came out of that was how do you get involved? How do you create empathy between you and the people that you're teaching? Because you know your background and you've got a great background. But then let's say you have a room of 10 or a room of 100 people you're training. How do you make it meaningful for every one of them? And that's a whole different story with 10 people. You can usually get to know them pretty quickly, ask a few questions, tell a few jokes, get to know them, understand what their needs are, understand their backgrounds, understand how much safety knowledge they've had in the past. And sometimes some people don't speak up. Maybe they're embarrassed that they haven't had the length of experience of other people. And absolutely, is there still a stigma out there that you've got to kind of earn your safety, that you you need to have a little bit of an injury to understand how important it is for safety. Unfortunately, yeah, that's still out there that maybe in the electrical world, you'd still need to feel a little bit of electricity, not enough to hurt you bad, but enough to scare you to respect it. And maybe you need that first time that you've hit your finger with a hammer to know that you, you don't want to hit your hand with a hammer. And some of that stigma still exists. And some people are very nervous when they first come into the workplace. And so they'll say, yeah, I know how, I know that. I know what you're talking about. And maybe they don't. And in a group of 10 or a group small and, and manageable, you can know about them. You can get to know them, understand their needs, understand why they want to work safe. I mean, for some people, maybe it's not family. Maybe they don't have a family. Maybe it's more about they want to enjoy fishing or bowling. Or for some people, it's all about family. Like, I'm here to work because I got to support my family and I love them. And we want to talk about, well, then we want you to go home to your family. We, we really do mean that. And I think that's the hardest part because there's sometimes, it only takes the one bad company that someone has worked for to really create that stigma that when they come into a good workplace, they really don't trust it. They don't trust that you mean what you're saying with safety because they've been in a place where it truly was like either work safe or not. That's your choice, buddy. Good luck. Hope you don't get hurt. And then maybe they come to a place that has a safety professional who's working hard and doing a good job and the company is dedicated to safety. And there are a lot of good companies out there too. But when you have that person that has first been somewhere not so good, it's so easy to fall in that trap where that I'm going to do hard work and not necessarily safe work because I know that's what you want rather than that's what I've, I know you're telling me this, but I just don't trust it because I haven't seen that in the past. And I've trained a lot of people like that in my career that's come from different parts of the organization or other industries of similar style. And they've come over and you're, you're teaching and you're really trying to engage and create that, that empathy that we understand each other, that we're talking the same language here. And sometimes you get that one person that comes up and says, I enjoyed the training because I really felt like you were genuine in what you were saying. And I believed it. And I'm surprised that your company wants me to work safe rather than just work hard. It's not just lip service. It sounds like you want us to be doing that. And that's the feeling that we're all looking for in the safety world, that we are genuinely conveying our organization's desire 
for safety. And so then you flip over and you look at, okay, as a safety professional, let's say that group, suddenly you're training a hundred people. You can't create the same style of, of empathy. You can't create the same style of that. We know each other because you can't know them all. You don't have the time. And so you work off generalities and you really try to sound and present it in a genuine way and really try to teach. Now, let's jump into where we're at right now with COVID-19. Because we can't put people into a huge group of a room and there's work that we're bringing people back to the workforce in, in a pretty rapid fashion. And this is across the nation. How do we train them? And so a lot of people have turned to to virtual training for onboarding. And this is becoming pretty common. I'm seeing this happening on talking to other safety professionals, seeing it on some of the message boards that a lot of people are moving toward virtual training for this, this onboarding process and for all types of people, whether it be executives to office workers to site workers or trying to cover some of the information in a virtual way, which is good because... Again, we all know we're not getting away from lecture, or at least 100% lecture. Now, is lecture training something that we need to do a lot of? No, there should be a lot of hands-on training, but there's still parts of the OSHA reg that it's just so impossible to get around without some form of lecture because you've got to teach it before they do it. And so that we're using virtual training as a means of presenting that information in a way that hopefully people can understand. But now you have a room of virtual people. How do you create that same style of of information? How do you make sure that everyone is creating or having the best meaningful experience they can? And wow, we've just made it so much more difficult. And not we, but the whole situation that we're in, the environment that we're operating in has created it more difficult to create that first psychological impression on our team members. And so we have to work extra hard to create that welcoming experience and to over communicate safety all the time. So it begins with that virtual experience and making sure that we're not boring them to tears with the details, but that we're maybe showing some videos of what real life is like in our in our organization. Maybe we're showing some pictures and, and walking through pictures and examples to make it more real before they're setting foot on site. And then when they set foot on site, how do we welcome them? How do we set the tone for the organizational expectations of safety that we want you to be safe? And we have to set that up and, and layer it. In some ways, it's, it's made it a little bit more to where we are forced to create that layers of experience of having people first virtually see it, be welcomed and feel it, and then go out to the floor and do it. So that way we're, we're creating that entire emotional experience for people as they are coming into it. Because at one time, it was very much like, okay, safety guy talks about safety. We're going to put you in a room with them. And you do everything you need to do to, to make them feel safe. And then we're going to teach them how to do the work. And this new way of doing things have kind of changed that progression to where we as safety people are doing this virtual training, maybe. Then they're on site and they're having to do a welcoming 
how do you experience and how do you feel it when you arrive and then we still have to teach you some safety things when you get out there to your job because we weren't able to do it virtually so in some ways we we might evolve this might be our first step of a really great evolution in the way that we do safety training we'll see it'll be interesting so again, I want to thank you for joining me this week on the podcast. I got to talk a little bit about my passion this week. I enjoyed that. Thank you for sitting with me as I did that. And until next time we chat, stay safe. Thanks for listening to the Leading and Learning Through Safety podcast. Join the conversation on the internet at www.thesafetydude.org or on Twitter at thesafetydude. As always, all opinions are my own and not affiliated with any business entity. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only. It is not a substitute for proper policy, appropriate training, or legal advice. I always encourage you to learn more about safety regulations and examine the facts with your unique perspective. This has been the Leading and Learning Through Safety Podcast. <music>